Chapter Twelve of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some side play. As Andrew was banished and Grandma determined to retire to ponder upon his sin, she waved at being Carrie's week in the kitchen and consequently her duty to prepare supper coffee, and suggested that we younger women should all go to the meeting, but Miss Flip refused on the score of a headache. Poor creature observed grandma i think she's afraid of a attack of her old complaint she looks that terrible bad and don't take interest in anything she wants rousin out of herself more she ain't a girl that will confide anything to one but her uncle is comin up again to-morrow and i think i'll speak to him when carrie dawn and i arrived at the citizens hall ernest was already waiting to act groom while larry whitcomb also accidentally hovered near he quite as casually took possession of carrie so there was nothing for a common individual like myself but to become extremely self-absorbed, so that my keen observation might not be an interception of any interest likely to circulate between the knight and the lady. The latter seemed to be, in one of her contrary moods, so attached herself to me like a barnacle, settled me in a seat one from the wall, and peremptorily indicated to Ernest that he was to take the one against it, put herself carefully away from him on the outside. A wag would have arranged the party to suit himself, but that was beyond Ernest. He meekly sat down beside me, with a helplessness possible only to the sturdiest athlete in the room, when in the hands of a fair and wilful maid. I could have come to his rescue, but deemed it wiser not to thrust him upon Dolan for the present. We had arrived very early, so there was time for conversation. Encouraged by me, Ernest went forward and addressed a few remarks to Dawn, which she received so coolly that he distraitly talked to me instead, and as people began to gather, above the majority towered the fair head and striking profile of him I had first seen dealing in pumpkins, and who was colloquially known as Dora Ewood. Dawn beckoned him to the seat beside her, which she took with alacrity, a rollicking laugh and a crimsoning face, which, in conjunction with a double chin, bespoke the further partnership of a large and well-satisfied appetite. I haven't seen you for an age, said Dawn, with unusual graciousness. Are you sure you wanted to see me? he inquired, with an amorous look. Dawn used her bewitching eyes of blue in a laughing glance. You know, you only have to give me the wink and you'll see me as often as you want, straightforwardly confessed Dora. But Dawn, having encouraged him to a certain distance, had a mind to bring him no nearer. I don't care if I never saw you again, she said bluntly. But Grandma likes yarning with you. That's why I inquired. Dora looked very red in the face indeed. How's Miss Cowper? mercilessly pursued Dawn, going to the point about which she was curious, as is characteristic of swains and maids of her degree. I hope she's well. So do I, said Ewart. You used to ask after her health about twice a day. I thought you would be taking her to Lucent Farm to relieve your anxiety and in response to this Dora sealed his fate, as far as my feeling any compunction whether he singed his wings or not, in the light of Dawn's bright candle, for he said with a touch of bravado, "'Oh, I was only pullin' her leg!' To do the man justice, he did not seem down to the full unmanliness of this statement. It appeared more one of those nasty and idle remarks to which all are prone when in a tight corner, and speaking on the spur of the moment. "'Oh, that was all!' said dawn mockingly it was very nice of you are you always so kind and thoughtful 
I'm thinking of clearing out to Sydney in a day or two. I've spent enough time loafing. The only thing that has kept me here so long is that I wanted to hear how Les got on in his maiden speech. We're not much to each other, but when a fellow has no one belonging to him, he feels a claim on the most distant connection, said Ernest on the other side of me. His interest in Leslie Walker's maiden speech had been developed as suddenly as his opinion that he had spent enough time in a boat on the river Nanoon. The connection he mentioned between himself and the candidate about to speak was that old Walker, whose only son the latter was, had married a widow with one son, by name, Ernest Breslaw. Both these parents were now dead, leaving the stepbrothers as their only offspring. The lads had been reared together, and though of utterly different tastes and callings, a mutual regard existed between them. Walker had passed his examinations at the bar, and Breslaw had been trained to electrical engineering, but both being wealthy, neither followed their professions, except in a nominal way. Walker had put in his time in society, motoring, flirting, travelling, dabbling in the arts, and building a fine town mansion, while Ernest had spent all his time in athletic training, with the result that Walker had fallen a prize in the marriage arena, while Ernest was yet in full possession of his bachelorhood. Any further conversation was out of the question, as the candidate, a smart, clean-shaven man with clearly cut features, now appeared and announced himself by removing his new straw decker and calling out, "'Ladies and gentlemen, before we begin, I would like to follow the democratic principle of asking you to choose a chairman from among yourselves.' "'We propose Mr. Oscar Lawyer,' called several voices, naming a popular townsman, and this being seconded, the candidate and the people's chairman, two very gentlemanly-looking men for the hustings, ascended to the stage side by side. The chairman took up a position behind a little red table supporting a water-bottle and smudgy tumbler, while Leslie Walker sat on another chair at the end of it. Many members of Parliament, having risen to their position from coal-heaving or hotel-keeping, when going on the war-path a second time, take great pains to get themselves up in accordance with their idea of the dignity of their office. Many old fellows, roaring, "'Give me your votes, I'm the only bloke to save the country, and see you get your rights,' dress this modest role in a long-tailed, satin-faced frock-coat, a good thing in the trouser-line, and a stylish buttonhole. But Leslie Walker, one of the champagne set, had made equally palpable efforts to dress himself down to his present debut. For sure, his suit, which comprised an alpaca coat with a crumpled tail, must have been the shabbiest he had, while the glistening new white sailor hat had probably been procured at the last moment, in the vain imagination that, dress as he would, it was not evident at a first glance that he had had the bread-and-butter problem solved for him by a provident parent before his birth, and that he lived what is designated the cultured life, far and autocratically above sympathy with the vulgar and despised herds, upon whose sweat his class built the pretty villas fronting the harbour, charge haughtily along the roads in automobiles, and sail the graceful yachts on the idyllic waters of Port Jackson. "'By Jove, Les has different ambitions from mine,' said Ernest. "'I'd rather have to stand up to a mill with a champion pug "'than face what he's on for tonight. "'Doesn't he look a case in that get-up? "'Supposing he gets in, what the devil good will it do then? "'And it takes such crawling to get into Parliament nowadays. "'There are too many at the game. "'I could never face the way one has to flatter some of these old creatures for their vote. "'I'd rather plug them under the jaw.' Mr. Oscar Lawyer, having introduced the speaker, 
he came forward, and after explaining it was his first appearance in politics, charmingly proceeded. I hope I shall not bore you with my remarks, as I endeavour to outline the various planks in the platform of the party to which I have the honour to belong. Quite superfluous for him to explain that he was a new chum in politics. Only a fledgling from a Brussels or Axminster carpeted reception room would stand on the hustings and publish a fear that he might be boring his audience. One familiar with the trade of electioneering, as it has always been conducted by men, would strut and shout and brag, never for a moment worrying whether or not he came anywhere near the truth, or feeling the slightest qualm, though he had deafened his hearers with his trumpeting, or bored them to complete extinction, and would refuse to be silenced even by eggs of great antiquity. Les ought to stick to society,' observed his stepbrother. Flipping around a drawing-room and making all the girls think they are equally in the running was more his line. "'He's a nice, clean, good-looking young fellow at any rate, and doesn't look as if he gorged himself. Hasn't that red-faced stuffed look?' said Dawn. "'If I had a vote, I'd give it to him just for that, as I am sick of these red-nosed old members of Parliament with corporations.' "'He's the real la da Johnny, isn't he?' laughed Dora Ewart. "'Don't you say he's any relation of mine,' said Ernest. "'It would give me away, and he thinks I'm in Melbourne. "'I told everyone that's where I was bound. "'I hope he won't catch sight of me.' "'There was little fear of this. "'One has to be accustomed to facing a crowd "'before they can distinguish faces. "'After the meeting, which dispersed early, "'Ernest and I hurried out into the galvanised iron-walled yard, "'in which those coming from a distance "'put their horses and vehicles.' Having noted the disconsolate manner in which a pair of dark eyes, below a thatch of generous hue, surreptitiously glanced towards the tormentatious maiden, with ribbons of blue matching her eyes and fluttering on her bosom, I thought it time to come to his rescue. "'If you would care to talk to your friend, he can drive you home while I walk with Dora. He says he has something to say to me,' said Dawn in an aside. "'Are you sure you want to hear it?' I asked. "'How could I tell until I hear it?' "'That is not a fair answer, Dawn.' "'Well, it wasn't a fair question,' she pouted. "'Very well, I will not press you more, but you'll tell me of it after, will you not?' "'Well, what would you like me to do?' she asked. "'Oh, I'd like you to be naughty. Mr. Dora's complacence inspires me to inveigle him into having to drive me home while you walk with someone else.' "'Very well, anything for fun,' she responded with dancing eyes. And as Ernest had the horse in, I got into the sulky and said, "'There is room for three here, Mr. Ewart, and we would be glad of you to put the horse out when we get home.' He took the reins and a seat, and moved aside to make room for the loitering dawn, but she said, "'No, I'll walk. I must keep Carrie company, and she doesn't want to come just yet.' "'Drive on,' I commanded and there was nothing for the entrapped Dora to do but obey. I saw Carrie go on with another escort. "'Will you permit me to see you to your gate?' I heard Ernest saying as we went, and Dawn asserting that it was unnecessary. It was a beautiful starry night with a prospect of a slight frost, as we turned down the tree-lined streets of the friendly old town, whose folk on their homeward way dawdled in knots to discuss the interposition of the women's vote. "'Now the women will do strokes,' said one. "'The men have things in such a jolly muddle it will take a long time to improve them,' another retorted. "'The women will make bloomin' fools of themselves. "'Couldn't be worse than the men. 
The woman'll all go for this chap because he's good-looking. Just as good a reason as going for another because he shouted grog for you. And similar remarks drifted to my ears. But Dora's mind did not seem to be running on politics. Who is that red-headed fellow sitting on the other side of you? He inquired. Which one? A short block of a fellow with a clean face. Oh, he's a man I know. Pretty cool of us leaving Dawn. The old dame won't like it. She won't mind, considering Dawn has about the most reliable escort procurable. I suppose it's all right if you know him, but to me he looked like a bagman or bike rider or something in the spieler line. Oh, no, and pulling my boa about me, I smiled to think of the chagrin of Dora. He was so beautifully transparent, too, but to do him justice he did not seem to resent the scurvy trick I had played him. As soon as his equanimity was restored, and we laboured cheerfully but unavailingly to promote a conversation. "'Do you really like farming? Take a pleasure in it?' I inquired. "'When I'm knocking a decent amount of money out of it, I do. There's not much fun in anything when it doesn't pay.' "'Quite true. There might be a frost tonight, but they're nothing here. Always disappear as soon as the sun is up. Great Scott, aren't these roads? The council wants stuffing in the nanoon. It would be an all right place if only for the roads.' This brought us to Clay's gate, and no further conversational effort was necessary. I lingered outside till Ewart had disposed of the pony and trap, and by that time Ernest and Dawn, bearing evidence of quick walking, appeared, and we went into Grandma and Uncle Jake in a body. "'The women are going to form a committee to work for Mr. Walker if he's elected,' announced Dawn, "'and I want to join it, Grandma. I am not old enough to vote, but I'd like to work for Mr. Walker.' He looks worth a vote. He's nice and thin, and speaks beautifully without shouting and roaring, not like these old beer-swipers who buy their votes with drink. He is a decent-looking fellow, said Ewart. Oh, well, he'll go in then. That's all the women will care about, said Uncle Jake in one of his half-audible sneers. Well, contended Dawn, men always sneer at women for doing in a small degree what men do fifty times worse. If a pretty barmaid comes to town, all the men are after her like bees, and if a pretty woman stood for Parliament, the men would go off their heads about her, and yet they get their hair off terribly if a woman happens to prefer a nice gentlemanly man to a big old fat beer-barrel, with his teeth black from tobacco, and his neck gouging over his collar from eating too much. Can I join the committee, Grandma? If it's proper, and he's my man, you can, and work instead of me, but I must hear them both first. "'If Walker could get you to make a speech for him, we'd all vote for him in a body,' laughed Ewart. But Dawn replied, "'Oh, you, I suppose you say that to every girl.' Ewart sizzled in his blushes, while Ernest's face slightly cleared at this rebuff dealt out to another. Grandma brought in the coffee and grumbled to Dawn about Carrie's absence. "'That Larry Whitcomb ain't no monk, and while a girl is in my house, I feel I ought to look after her. I believe in everyone having liberty.' There's reason in everything. The girl did not appear till after the young men had gone, and Dawn and I had withdrawn, but we heard Grandma's remonstrance. That fella, I told you straight, was took up about an affair in a divorce case, and it would be as well not to make yourself too cheap to him. I don't say as most men ain't as bad, only they're not caught and bowled out, but when they are made a public example of, we have to take notice of it. Marry him if you want. Use your own judgment. He'll be the sort of feller who'll always have a good home, and in after years these things is always forgot, and it would be better to be married to a man that had that against him, 
seeing they're all the same, only they ain't found out, and could keep you comfortable than one who was supposed to be different and couldn't keep you. But if you ain't going to marry him, don't fool about with him, and unless he gets to business and wants marriage at once, don't take too much notice to his soft soap, as you ain't the only girl he's got on a string by a long way. He acknowledges about the fault he did in his young days, and he says it's terribly hard that it's always coming against him now, said Carrie. Well, if a woman does a fault, she has to pay for it, hasn't she? That's the order of things, said Grandma. But this was when he was young and foolish, continued Carrie. Yes, the poor child, he was terribly innocent, wasn't he, and was got hold of by some fierce designing hussy. They always are, and it was all her fault. It always is a woman's fault. Only for the women the men would be all angels and flew away long ago, said Grandma sarcastically. I'll give you plenty of that kind of yarn if you listen to em, and if you were built so you can believe it, well and good, but the facts was always too much of an eye-opener for me. And with that the contention ended. Yes, Carrie's the terriblest silly about that, Larry Whitcomb, said Dawn. She swallows all he says. She said to me yesterday, he seems to be terribly gone on me. Yes, I said, you keep cool about his goneness. Wait till he gets down on his knees and bellows and roars about his love and take my tip for it, he could forget you then in less than a week. I've seen men pretending to be mad with love, and the next month marry to someone else. Men's love is a thing you want to take with more discount than everything you know. You might be conceited enough to believe them if you went by your own lovers, but you want to look on at other people's love affairs, and see how much is to be depended on there, and measure your own by them, and it will keep your head cool, said this girl who had the most sensible head I ever saw in conjunction with her degree of beauty. She had contracted the habit of slipping into my room for a talk before going to bed, and as her bright presence there was a delight to me, I encouraged her in it. The gorgeous kimono was a great attraction. She loved it so that I had given it her after the first night, but did not tell her so, or she would have carried it away to her own room, where I would have been deprived of the pleasure of seeing it nightly enhance the loveliness of her firm white throat and arms. "'How did you and Dora get on together?' she presently inquired. "'Well, you see, we didn't elope. How did you and Ernest manage?' "'Well, you see, we didn't elope,' she laughed. "'No, but you might have arranged such a thing.' "'Arranged for such a thing?' she said scornfully. "'I am not in the habit of trucking with other people's belongings. What do you mean?' It was you who said something about his young lady this afternoon. As far as I can see, he doesn't behave much as if he had one. So it was my chance remark that had run her wheel out of groove during the last few hours. Does he not? I replied. I think he appears more as though he has a young lady now than he did during my previous knowledge of him. Well, I don't know how you see it, she said, as she tore down her pretty hair. What? I ejaculated, in feigned consternation. He has not been making love to you, has he, Dawn? I always had such faith in his manliness. Well, he doesn't say anything, said Dawn with a blush, but he glares at me in the way men do, and when I mention anything I like or want, he wants to get it for me, and all that sort of business. Perhaps he's falling in love unawares. Young men are often stupid, and do not recognise their distemper till it is very ripe. He ought to be removed from danger. Well, if I ever had a lover and he liked another girl better, I'd be pretty sure he hadn't cared for me and would not want him any more, she said off-handedly. 
but would it not be better to let him go away and be happy with the maid who loves him and to spoil his life by wasting his affection on you when you only think him a great pug-looking creature that you'd be ashamed to be seen with yes i don't care for him she said still more off-handedly but he doesn't look so queer now that i've got used to him i suppose anyone who liked him wouldn't think him such a horror no i for one think him handsome handsome yes handsome well i'll go to bed after that and think how some people's tastes differ well take care that you don't think about ernest thank you i don't want the nightmare she retorted tossing her head End of chapter twelve